coming to you from Michigan, USA, and listened to by people all over the planet. Get ready to be safe and sound with Sean Sparkman. Sparkman. Never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bow. Welcome to the Safe and Sound Podcast. This is your host, Sean Sparkman. I have a unique and very interesting individual by the name of Pamela Good. She is the founder and CEO of Beyond Basics. And just to give you a little hint of what you're going to get in the show today, we're going to be talking a lot about something nobody really thinks about, which is illiteracy and how it's being affected in our country and what Pam and her organization is going to do or is doing on a daily basis to help it. So, Pam, thank you very much for being on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, can you tell people a little bit about who you are and what you guys are doing? Well, uh, I represent um, probably thousands of people at this point. Um, you know, we're a nonprofit organization, and we have uh, – a team uh, that shows up either working with kids daily or in our office to help support that of about 80 people. And we've had thousands of people over the years that help us in various ways. And an example of that is uh, right now we have our coat drive going on. We'll be putting coats on, um, you know, over a thousand children uh, in the next month. So that gives you a little bit of a snapshot, but our, our main goal is, um, solving the illiteracy crisis one child at a time. And our focus is uh, metropolitan Detroit. That's really cool. And it's funny because, you know, we all live in modern day America. And I know like before I even spoke with you, like I didn't realize how bad or, you know, how much there is an illiteracy problem in our country. So how did you like stumble upon this or find out about it? And really what led you to where you are now? Well, you know, it was a journey. Uh, I didn't know about illiteracy um, at all, really, the, uh, when I first uh, delivered coats back in 1999. As part of a partnership with the school that my sons attended, I took coats to Charles Rogers Academy right off of uh, Southfield Freeway there at the Joy Road exit. And when I went into the school, I realized that it was a community that needed everything, much more than just coats. And, you know, we piloted programs, not even realizing that we were piloting at the time. We were just doing what we could to bring uh, resources to that one school. And it was a K-12 school. And so we started doing Make a Difference Days and art projects and reading with kids and uh, running weekly publishing centers. And it was through that regular work of just showing up at that school a couple times a week that we started to realize that the kids could not read. And that's when we really took a corner and started trying to solve illiteracy in the inner city. It took us about three or four years until we were able to deliver the level of intervention that kids need to be able to improve. And really that alone, that is what I talk about today all the time. You know, we started learning about illiteracy in 2008. We perfected it K-8. We moved into high schools again in, in 2011. And what we have today is the same problem we had then. And that is, to sum this up, we have a, we have a phenomenal educational model in America. And I know it, it, people complain about education all the time, but our model is phenomenal. The problem is 
that kids that are more than a grade level behind, we do not give them the level of intervention they need to improve. And with Detroit and Pontiac and Lansing and districts that are struggling, that's 85% of the kids that are in that literacy gap. 85%. So our model... 85% of the kids are in that gap. Wow, that is and huge. It's huge. And in surrounding districts, you know, anywhere from Gross Point or Rochester or Birmingham or Bloomfield, you have anywhere from 15 to 20% of the kids that are more than a grade level behind. And our model gives what I call, you know, the educational model across our nation, quite frankly, gives an intervention that works for kids if they're close to grade level, and it can get them reading proficiently. But when you give a child who's multiple grade levels behind an intervention that meets just twice a week or three times a week for 20 minutes, it's not enough to work for them. And so what started out as the illiteracy crisis in our inner cities has spread. In the suburbs and communities that we think we wouldn't have this problem, there's a rise of learning differences. And that is kids with ADHD, dyslexia, autism. And we also have increased numbers of students who are English language learners. And so they may speak English, but they're not reading and writing it. And that's the case for the other kids. So I call this a silent epidemic. It's only expanding. And that the good news is that on average in six weeks with a, a tutor that meets with them an hour a day, five days a week, one-on-one, -on -one, they become readers. And so this is e easily solved. Wow, that's amazing. Within six weeks, they can go from being part of the 85% or in some areas, 15, 20% where their grade levels behind to all caught up? Yes. Now, I would say, <laughs> it's crazy. I would say all, all caught up in the sense that they can sound out words correctly. Depending on their vocabulary and their life experience, they're going to have to build vocabulary and, you know, build their fluency. So you're taking a child maybe who's never read, but now they can. They can sound out any word they get to. And then as they start reading, they're able to participate in the classroom now where they couldn't before. And we see dramatic growth. The craziest thing to me, and, I, you know, the first time I talked to you and you told me this, it's it's yeah. still this day it blows my mind because of all the, the cell phones and the technology and it's just like how does somebody get through life if they're not able to read? Like what do they do? And it's amazing that we're experiencing that in, you know, our country and right here in our Yes, it's uh I say that illiteracy is connected to almost every social ill. When you stay in school, so we have families keeping their kids in school. Even though they can't read, you know, they don't realize that's the issue. They think they don't get something. But these kids, when they graduate, believe they're going to be able to get jobs. And when they can't get a job because they can't read, you know, they, they're not sure why that is. And I think it leads to some false narratives. We know that 85% of the kids in juvenile facilities are illiterate. We know that our jails are full of illiterate. So we see where they end up when you can't read especially if you don't have a family around you that can, you know, take you in and make up for some of those shortfalls. But, I mean, I think the miracle is that we can do this work. There are a lot of kids who need help, uh, so it's going to take us a few years. But the fact that we can get any child, no matter how far they're behind, reading at grade level on average in six weeks is a miracle. Yeah, that is a miracle. And, I, you know, you could probably speak better this than I can, but I, I'm just thinking in my mind, if 
somebody is not able to read, well, no matter what age they are, there's got to be a, a level of shame and a lack of confidence that comes with that. You know, you mentioned that it can lead to these different narratives and paths in life. And maybe a lot of it also comes from the emotional damage that's done from, you know, hiding the fact that you can't read because of the shame and the lack of confidence that that brings. Is that something that you guys see? You're absolutely correct. And, you know, I learn about this mostly from the kids that we serve. And there's a video of a boy, Elijah Craft, on our website and of Deontay Rucker, some other ones. But when we met Elijah, he's a Central High School a senior, big kid, football player, 6'7", you know, north of 300 pounds. That's a big kid. That's an understatement. <laughs> that is a big kid. And the smile on this kid's face is, is just, as, uh, just as big. And the most grateful young man that I've ever met. But when we assessed him, we found out that Elijah was reading at a first grade level. And since then, we've, we've coined the phrase, you know, he's blind, he was blind to words. And he would tell us how he was afraid to go out of the house, maybe with his buddies and walking around in the neighborhood, because if they left him, he couldn't find his way home because he couldn't read street signs. Oh, wow. Can you imagine that? Yeah. So, you know, his case was extreme. Most of the kids come to us, they're reading at a third or, or fourth grade level, but our high schools the majority are reading at a fourth or fifth grade level in our inner cities. And they, you know, functional literacy is third grade level. And that just means that when you see letters together that form some common words that you would see, like maybe the words of produce in the grocery store or a bus schedule or, you know, the ATM, some of those things that you can operate functionally in society because you can read enough but you really can't read words. And we have so many kids and they do, they isolate themselves. They they really develop an aversion to learning. So anytime they're asked to read something, they don't want to admit it. And they maybe act up in class or develop behavior that is going to, you know, spare them, spare their pride a little bit, but cause other issues for them and their class. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine, especially as a, a kid, but even as an adult, you know, a lot of people, they don't want to ever look stupid. <laughs> it's just a, a reality of like, nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody does. So yeah. I, I can only imagine how that would affect your, your entire life. And it's amazing that it, it's really a, a very simple, like you said, solvable thing. Like you guys have a six-week program to get people all the way back to where they can at least start to build and have a foundation, right? I think that illiteracy is a solution that I know that it's available to us as society. But what I've come to realize over the last few years is that we have this problem in society because of who we are. And we tend to rush after image and not substance, symptom relief instead of the cure. And I think that each of us has to change in some way so that we're really embracing solutions that help us instead of throwing dollars at something that isn't going to change it. And we have a problem of throwing dollars at things in America, and it's not solving problems. It's just creating different problems. And I think you're right as far as the culture of instant gratification that we all love. I mean, because it's so nice to just get you know, something now and not feel that fulfillment or have the lasting change. Like you said, always solving for the symptoms and not getting to the root cause. 
You know, like, uh, for example, in the medical field, if somebody has high blood pressure, instead of exercising and dieting right to solve what may be the overweight problem that's causing the high blood pressure, it's just throw a pill at it. And I think we do that with everything, just like you're talking about with the illiteracy issue and the fact that most people don't even know it exists. I agree. I agree. I think as human beings, oftentimes we make choices out of our own level of destructiveness, if that makes sense. <laughs> it was getting a little too <laughs> philosophical here. But I think that, that it's really something to look at because our society is representing what each of us are individually, you know, and we have a lot of problems in our society. And it used to be that the problem that I needed to solve was literacy, you know, illiteracy, we needed to solve that. Now it really is waking up our society to see that there are solutions all around us and they're going to take effort. And do we have heart for this work? And that's yet to be determined. I think that we do. And I think that there are, you know, many solutions besides illiteracy that we're going to solve as we walk through this time together. This year, if anything, has been a year of perfect vision, you know, 2020. We've wanted to present that side of us that isn't stupid, as we referenced earlier. You know, we want to present our, ourselves. We have this self-help, all working to be perfect. But really, this year has shown us our weaknesses. And are we willing to step in as society and make life better for others around us? And that's going to cause us to change. We're going to have to roll up our sleeves and get in and and get messy and start talking about some of these things together and, and get through this. But on the other side of it, there's so much that we have to gain. Yeah, well, and at the end of the day, nothing that's worth it comes easy, right? Uh, the, the only things that are worth it require hard work. And in order to change and grow, which if you're not growing, you're dying, is, is a statement that I learned a long time ago. And okay. we need to grow as a, as a country, as a nation, but you know, first starting as individuals. So I love that that attitude. And you mentioned something that I picked up on, which is you said our, our own destructiveness. <laughs> and I, th yeah. I think that's funny because I, I think that we as people, you know, are kind of prone to that, you know, those destructive mm -hmm. behaviors of, you know, it's easier to sit on the couch and eat a donut than get outside and run or whatever it may be. So mm -hmm. that kind of leads me to one of the questions that I ask on the show every single time I have a guest. And to preface it, uh, it's the question is going to be, what is something that you have failed at? And it's whatever you feel comfortable sharing. It doesn't have to be related to business. It's whatever you want. But the reason I ask is because it's about how you handle failure. And I think failure is the most important thing that we can experience as people because it's how we handle that and use it to grow that changes us or destroys us. So what's something that you have failed at in life, Pam? You know, I think I fail every day. One thing is, I know there are a lot of people who say, well, if you know, you can just change the life of one child, but it is the thousands and the hundreds of thousands of children that are in school today that can't read and nobody's addressing it. That really causes me to keep working and, and being passionate about this work. So I, I would say that having that passion for the kids has caused me to grow continually over the last 20 years. I am not the same person that I was when I started this. I've grown spiritually much stronger by staying the course. You know, I think illiteracy is a stronghold on this nation. I think that it's a stronghold left from the times of slavery. And I believe that it's coming down 
But whenever you take on something bigger than yourself, and I think that's why so many people say, you know, how do I say it? I say, you know, there are moments when I call it just jumping into the grace gap where I jump in. I know I have to stay this course. I don't see the ground beneath me. And I wait for the mighty hand of God to come down and catch me on the tip of his finger. You know, when you have to step in beyond everything, you know, into God's power to make a way where there isn't one, it changes you. And so I've grown my faith over the years. I've grown my ability to be courageous over the years. And I've grown in my ability to know that God has a way when I don't see a way. And I think that I would add to that, that when I know that I'm moving in the direction that aligns with God's character in his word, then I can have that confidence. And it's only then that I can have that confidence. There's much power in that. And so I don't know where there were all kinds of failures. You know, I, you know, I failed at a marriage. <laughs> I failed my children in some way. I failed to, in some ways, be able to speak out about this, this work that we do that gains great, greater commitment to solving it. So that's something that I, let me, let me summarize this by saying that it is really in those, those things that we're not good at. If we could just start admitting that we're not good at some things. That was maybe a beginning for me, <laughs> you know, whether it's uh, keeping the house clean or, you know, I can't stay away from the brownies or, but, you know, there's simple things. But if we start letting ourselves look at what we're not good at and getting help, it opens us up to a different way of thinking. And ultimately, you know, we have blind spots. We all have something that's getting in the way of our lives that, that we can't see ourselves. And that's where people, when we engage with other people, they kind of light them up in us and we get to see them. And so when it rears its ugly face, maybe it's impatience <laughs> on the, the freeway or we need to look at that and really ask the Lord to help us get rid of that. And yeah, so my, my daily walk is that, Sean. But I think that's really, that is when we start stepping into more of a fullness of life giving. And that's when we make decisions out of our own life givingness and not our destructiveness. And that's the journey that each human being is on. And we need to help each other because we can't get there alone. It takes God and it takes each other. And we have a perfect, we have that every day. So. Yeah, I love I love it. I mean, that's an absolutely beautiful answer to to the question because you you are right on so many different levels of experiencing that growth as being the number one thing and in order to do that, we have to ultimately humble ourselves so that we can say, "Hey, like, uh, you know, I was going to make a joke a second ago because I still to this day struggle with impatience on the highway." Yeah. And you know, my wife yeah. always pokes at me about it, but but uh, you know, it's something that I, I I'm still and I've gotten, you know, much, much better over the years, but it's, it's a constant growing process. And that's just one little thing. And we all have those little things. And it's funny that you said, you know, other people point it out because that if we don't have the humbleness and the willingness to look, how are you mm -hmm. ever supposed to grow and change? Right. That's right. So you, you kind of mentioned what my next question is going to be, some of the answers to it already. But the, mm -hmm. the next question is, what is what you view as one of your greatest successes in life? And it's funny because what I find is a lot of times people are almost more willing to talk about their failures than they are their successes. 
So mm-hmm. what is something that you've been successful at? I don't know that you can really count this as success, but it's what's made the difference in my life. And that is living from my heart. I do lead from my heart. You know, when I went to that school and saw those kids, they stayed on my mind and I just moved into that. I found a way to do something. I had no idea that this would ever turn into a nonprofit organization and have a solution for illiteracy. But every step of the way, you know, leading leading with my heart. Prior to doing this, I would say I was a jack of all trades, master of none. But everything I did helped me do this. And I think that when we live from our heart, that God can work with us in that space. And that and that allowing God to transform me and to transform the direction that I took because I followed my heart and transform me in the process because it required great faith and great, great courage. The way everybody wants to have greater faith and they want to be more courageous. But honestly, the only way you get there is by stepping out in faith. And that's not comfortable <laughs> or <laughs> no, being, it's not <laughs> or being courageous that we have to be courageous. It's the only way to grow it. And I think you only grow it well when you grow it with God uh, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm a Christian, you know, it's by by humbling ourselves and accepting Christ's sacrifice for us that we gain the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And as we listen to that voice, it enables us. You know, the Holy Spirit grows our faith and grows our courage through our actions. But we have to step out. We have to step out. Yeah, I I like that. And I am a Christian as well. But uh, the point that I really am catching is the step out. And I think that that is so hard for 98% of people, and maybe it's 100% of people, it's hard. You know, some people may make it look easy, but there's nothing easy about taking any step where you don't know what's going to happen next. You know, I I make a joke and uh, I still can't believe that, you know, my wife sticks with me because (laughs) when we bought our first house, like the next month, I, I literally quit my corporate job to okay. you know go start my own business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then when uh, we like when we had our first our, our son, you know, a couple of years ago, right after we had him, a month later, I, I quit the, that business that I had built up to go independent. And so I just took like these steps in faith. And you know, I've had a lot of people that say to me like, "Well, man, you just go out and like do stuff. Like, how do you do that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, I do. I just do it, but." it's terrifying at the same time. It's just a matter of knowing like deep down that if I just keep moving forward, that God's going to take care of me as long as I'm out here serving other people. And and I, I know that's what you're doing. And I think that's the key to everything is when you're living a life of giving and service, that's when things come back to you. That's why I liked when you said as long as I'm acting in his heart and taking those steps, he guides the path and he moves it. And, and you just have to be open to what are those next steps? Where do I go next? But what would you recommend for people that, are, you know, somebody that's scared and wants to take a step and they just don't know what to do next? What, what do you recommend to help motivate them to take those steps? I think there uh, isn't anything more powerful than reading the word. I, contrary to a lot of people, I love the Old Testament. It is story after story of human beings living life and encountering God. And it is through those stories that you learn the character of God. And when you step out in a decision and you know that it's the character of God, it helps give you confidence. But it's it's a living word, and it is the most powerful, powerful thing that we can do to 
move forward in our lives. And I highly recommend it. But I recommend it in a way. I know we all do these. A lot of us do these daily devotionals, this 10 minutes here, uh, 10 minutes there. But sitting down and reading the word like you would a novel and sitting with it for an hour or two and, and really pouring over it, I think there's great power and transformation in that. And um, as I recall years ago, I called it the power of the start. I think it's somebody else's phrase, actually. But 10 minutes you know, just can transform everything. You can be 10 minutes early to your job or 10 minutes late. You know, when you're 10 minutes early, there's one image of you, 10 minutes late, another. 10 minutes in the Word every morning, you could be 10 minutes late somewhere. So make make commitments to be in the Word and and watch and then step in when you have opportunities. Step in and, and challenge the Lord. <laughs> you know, I just challenge the Lord. I mean, I back in the early days when I look at Detroit, and it's like, I knew that the scripture said, you know, you're supposed to take care of the poor and the orphans, right? You're supposed to help them. And right. so uh, it's almost like you step out challenging. <laughs> it's like, okay, Lord, you said. So now it's it, you're like putting the responsibility of it on God. And it takes the responsibility off of you. And oh, that's where you start building that. that. Yeah, you start building that relationship. Where now, I mean, if you have great faith, and it aligns with God's word, then all of heaven has to come and help make that happen. <laughs> I mean, that. I mean, I believe that. I do. Cool. I believe that. So uh, we have to, you know, be in the word and trust God. And then, um, you know, Charles Stanley says, you know, um, obey God and leave all the consequences up to him. And um, and and we begin that relationship by reading his word and helping other people. So. Cool. Well, thank you very much for sharing. And you know, it's funny I didn't expect the uh, podcast episode to go this way today. And if you're listening, I didn't either. <laughs> you know, uh, I appreciate that you're listening. Obviously, this isn't a religious podcast, but you know, my oh. my personal beliefs and your personal beliefs they get shared, and that's just what yeah. we believe. And if that's not what you believe, it's okay. But just listen with an open mind, and just keep in mind that that spirit of giving and that spirit of serving others is really where life starts to make those connections and you create those relationships with other people. And, you know, Pam, I just thank you very much for sharing that. And I will say that that journey that I talked about faith is what led to this literacy solution. And, um, you know, it did, it, it guided us here, uh, which is very much a societal issue. So uh, I thank you for your time and, and appreciate it so much. Yeah, and just as we're wrapping up here, I just have a couple of more questions for you that I always ask my guests. There's this next one's sure. just kind of a kind of a fun question. It's okay. what are what are you curious about? What am I curious about? Um, well, I tend to think a lot about you know like why is it people don't see this solution and we just get going and get everybody literate. You know, because I, I walk along the side of so many people suffering uh, and in bondage because of this, <clears throat> I, I mostly am, um, you know, curious about those things in human nature that we could have solutions and we don't embrace them. And I, you know, and I get stuck there because of this work. So I guess that that, that that's it. Why? How can we have solutions like this as society and not just embrace them and run with it? You know, if we did this 10 years ago, all of the kids in Detroit schools right now would be literate. I mean, imagine that. Yeah, I can't even imagine what the world would look like if everybody was literate because of the, the confidence that it would bring to the kids, the number of people that would grow up and become adults that could then truly contribute to our society. That would be a really cool thing. Yes, I, I, I agree. And it, and it, and it, 
it is in our choosing to live in in that America, and hopefully it would extend even beyond you know our borders. I hope so. And for, for those that are listening, if they want to learn more about you, your organization, and maybe how they can help, where where do they go? Who do they talk to? Uh, beyondbasics.org uh, is our website for our literacy organization. Great. And I will make sure that there is a link in the show notes. If you're listening, go ahead and go to the show notes. You can click on that and then they'll be able to get in touch with you guys, you know, through the website. So Pam, uh, before we go, is there any questions that I didn't think of to ask that I should have asked you? Uh, no, I think you've covered it all. I think we covered all and then some. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. It was a great conversation. And thank you again yeah. for being on the show today. Thank you so much. It's an honor. And for those of you that are listening, this has been another episode of the Safe and Sound podcast with your host, Sean Sparkman. Uh, as always, we're trying to bring you different people from across the country that have that spirit of giving and serving so that we can help you to build a safe and sound lifestyle for yourself so that you have a sound foundation that allows you to go out and not only take risks and have fun, but also give back to those around you. So thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to Safe and Sound Radio with Sean Sparkman. Sean Sparkman. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic for future shows, contact Sean at 313-246-9278 or visit the website at www.safeandsoundretirement.net. That's www.safeandsoundretirement.net. I must leave.